We are Gold Ivy, a health company dedicated to simplifying health and wellness. Tune in as we search to find the deep, real, and raw truth. We're here to talk big, no room for small talk. It is our mission to inspire, seek growth, simplify the action steps, and build confidence. You decide what works for your daily life and how to transform our lessons into your gold. Are you ready to step into your power? Now is the time. Join us on the fearless pursuit of self-discovery and growth. This is Ivy Unleashed, a Gold Ivy production. If you struggle with digestion, energy, bloat, acne, mood, fatigue, listen up. I spent four years, 50 plus doctors, and tens of thousands of dollars to heal my gut so you don't have to. I've created the what to do guide I wish I had before spending years navigating the overwhelming amount of information and conflicting doctors' opinions out in the gut health world. My help, I can't figure out what's wrong with me, the How to Heal Your Gut Starter Kit is now available and the response to it online has been incredible. On top of what I wish I would have known, I also wish this information would have been easily accessible for me. Because of that, it's available to you on the shop page of our website for only $9.99. Included in my guide is what helped me and countless others heal their gut, along with chronic fatigue, acne, hormone imbalances, and so much more. You'll learn what foods to stay away from, what foods to eat, a four-week gut healing eating plan, lifestyle tools to aid your healing process, and two of my go-to favorite recipes. So head over to our shop page on our website, goldivyhealthco.com. And remember, happy gut, happy life. You can heal. Let me help you. Welcome back to Ivy Unleashed. Thank you so much for joining us. This is our last guest episode of season two. And we are thrilled for who is in the house with us tonight. Megs is in the house. Thank you so much for being here. I'm in the house. Thank you for having me. Oh. I'm so excited. Oh. I'm ready. If you do not know Megs, you need to. You need to. Megs Povamacher, she has a, a social presence, she has a podcast presence. In a room, she has a presence. She's always had a presence. And just to let you all know, I have known Megs for a long time. And we just happen to live in the same city mm-hmm. and haven't seen each other since high school. <laughs> but we are both from this tiny ass little town in Wisconsin called Richland Center. And mm. so we are finally reunited. It is so good to see you. You too. It's like a day hasn't gone by. I feel like we're like playing JV basketball or something. <laughs> I mean, glad we're not. The thing is, is like, <laughs> preach. <laughs> she has not changed a bit. And you have in so many ways too. But just, you've always had this really magnetic energy about you. And it's always been so easy to be by you. And I feel the same way when I listen to your podcast. It's like so easy to listen. It's so easy to feel connected to you. You have this like, just, I can't, I don't know how else to say it, but like this magnetic presence. And so, so happy that Brooke gets to meet you and that our listeners and followers get access to you because you're just awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I do love, I don't know, connection. 
Mm-hmm. It's always come very easy to me and always been the most fun thing ever mm-hmm. to just meet new people, be in new spaces, and kind of be the light. I love being the light when I walk into a room. So You are the light. We've been laughing <laughs> since you walked in the door. <laughs> you, Everyone listening, you are in for a treat. We are going to take you to places in this podcast that might be uncomfortable, but are needed. And we are going to talk about a topic that Andrew and I are so thrilled to talk about. We could not have had a better person to share the space with us. And Andrew knows you from way back when, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, who is Megs now? Uh, <laughs> uh, Andrew really put it very well. I haven't changed a whole lot, which I actually love about myself. It's one of my favorite things about myself is I have just a, a very consistent energy. I've always been just like kind of a naturally happy person, very extroverted and warm. Um, I, I have kind of a knack for making people feel safe to be themselves. And that really has led to kind of what I do in the adult sense which is uh, I work as an LGBTQ plus inclusion consultant. I work with school teams and small businesses to help them create more inclusive environments for the people who work for them and for the people they serve, be that students, patrons, clients, whatever. I also, like Andrea mentioned, host a podcast called Out What Now, which is basically me trying to answer my own question (laughs) of, well, I am out of the closet and how do you navigate the, all of the things that come after coming out? Because it's not just an isolated event. It's a never ending process that is full, full of a lot of ups and downs, a lot of things that are really hard but Ivy grows in hard places. Sure <laughs> does. And, um, and it is also full of a lot of joy. So it's really sharing stories, sharing insights, and figuring out how to thrive in that, um, in that journey and in that facet of life, <clears throat> which is great. I also speak because, man, anytime I can get a microphone in my hand or in front of my face, <laughs> I am pumped to just share the good news which is, I think if we're talking about kind of mission or purpose or what are we even doing here? Mm -hmm. Why am I here? Why am I like this? (laughs) Which is a question I brought up in a coaching session I had this morning where I was being coached. Why am I like this? And I think it's because the reason I'm here is to create spaces and experiences and interactions where people feel safe like I kind of mentioned, to embrace all of who they are, whatever that is. It doesn't matter if it's queerness or being a mom or figuring out how to be a woman or a teacher or a student or whatever. Um, How can they be the most themselves and, and be excited about the opportunity to evolve and grow and learn and feel empowered and excited to do that? Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. I mean, we could just stop talking now. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I just, Done. Yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. What I wanted to say about exactly what you're talking about in this purpose is I'm so happy you're living it. Like that's just beautiful in itself that you've one, figured it out and two, you're living it out. And then three, you, it's like you pour fuel on the fire by 
also putting it on social media and on a podcast where people can have access to you for free. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. And what I love about your podcast and, you know, any type of social arena you're in is that anybody can learn from you. It's not just like, it's not just for people that are queer. Uh, me listening to your podcast, I laugh my ass off. <laughs> I learned so much about what people around me are probably going through that I have no idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have three kids. Who knows what that's going to bring on the conversations that I'll have, like hearing people's stories about coming out or just living as a human being. Like it is so important to know what that must feel like. And so many experiences that like as a straight person, you have no idea Mm -hmm. that that people are facing. And so I'm just so thankful that you started a podcast that we can tap into and learn from you and your guests are quirky and funny and sweet and so brilliant. And so you're killing it. I just love it so much. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. And I think, I think that's a really good point that it's, you know, it's branded as, you know, this is a, these are stories that primarily queer folks are sharing and their, their lived experiences, their insights, how did they navigate or how are they currently navigating? Cause none of us got this figured out. Right a transition if they're trans or how are they navigating coming out to their family as one label, you know, I'm a lesbian and now I'm non-binary and how can those two things coexist and just trying to understand themselves and explain to people, even though they don't have to, but it's, it's these queer experiences, but really it's, it is human experience because we can all relate to the themes of feeling isolated, feeling misunderstood, feeling like we're the only person in the world who has experienced X, Y, Z. And it's really, it is human experience that is told through the queer lens, which is lovely because a lot of times our stories and those voices are suppressed, but it's it's really exciting that so many different people can connect to those themes and hear some of these voices that they might not hear in other places. And really, being queer and understanding it, we all are trying to figure out how do we relate to each other? How does whatever piece of my identity relate to how I act in different environments and that isn't isolated only to the queer experience. It's all of us. Mm -hmm. It's just human. Totally. I love this conversation and where it's already going, but I can't help but keep thinking about where you came from (laughs) because I came from there too. It's 5,000 people, 99.99999 are white and say they're straight and they're not all straight, but they say it. (laughs) Loaded with queers over there, man. (laughs) There's like 23 churches in our town. It is so... It's like back in the 1800s. There's actually Amish people everywhere too. It is yeah. so old. <laughs> so I just keep thinking of how you're here coming from there. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah. And you just went back and mm-hmm. did something incredible. You're an advocate for students wanting to create a group at school where they can feel included and have each other. So talk to us about that experience, what it was like going back all these years to the place when you, you weren't out yet. Mm-hmm. Wild <laughs> would be the overarching term I would use. So 
like I said, or actually, I don't know if I said this, but I've worked in schools for a decade. I've been working as a school psychologist, so I'm very familiar with the school system as an educator and also, you know, do a lot of, I do my podcast and kind of the stuff we've talked about. And a dude, his name is Sean. He's, uh, <laughs> what up, Sean? <laughs> we love you, Sean. You're the man. Um, and it was super interesting guy, but neither here nor there. He is on the county board in Richland County. And um, Richland Center, by the way, is named Richland Center because it, there's very rich soil there and it's in the center of the county. Just Fitting. F- Fun fact. FYI. I learned that in a coloring book on like Richland Center Week or something. <laughs> when it, and um, so, anyway, dude sends me an email and he was on county board with my dad. They have very different political views, I would imagine, uh, a couple years ago. And so he kind of knew who I was. And he, I've never talked to him before. He sent me an email and said, hey, Megs, um, I don't know if you've heard, but there's kind of this debate going on in Richland Center about the students want to have a GSA, which for folks who don't know what that is, traditionally it's been a gay straight alliance, gender sexuality alliance. This group of students actually wants to call it a pride ally club, but all kind of the same concept. Mm-hmm. They want a space to hang out, to just like be queer and be left alone is kind of what it says to me. And I'm like, damn, a couple things came to my brain. Wow, that's awesome that students in that town, because I can just not imagine ever in my high school career ever having the courage to admit that I was gay, um, let alone advocate for a space to converse about it or be proud of it. Wild. Um, so I thought that was super cool. And then his his suggestion was, we're going to have actually a public hearing because there's already been two school board meetings that they've tabled the decision to let this go through, which isn't surprising. But the first line <laughs> in the email response I sent to him was, wow, Richland Center, the <laughs> gift that just keeps on giving to the gays. <laughs> Yes, I will come speak because that was his kind of request. He's mm-hmm. like, I think you'd be a powerful voice. And he didn't even know I was an educator. He's just like, hey, you're like a cool queer from here who seems okay with, you know, talking about it. So want to come back and <laughs> we advoca- need you and advocate we, for the children. We're going to need you. And you delivered. Oh, oh my, my gosh. Keep going. But <laughs> yeah. it, was, so, it was so great. Honestly, my first reaction to it was uh, I was tired. I was tired already because I, since my coming out, there has just been family turbulence. So I don't really go home that much anyway. And I had, until just a year ago, I had never brought a partner home. Um, but now my fiance has come home with me a couple of times. It's come to Christmas, seen the, met the fam, been around town. And she's even commented on like, whoa, that is a whole energy mm-hmm. as you're driving into town you know it's like joe biden and kamala harris on the billboard coming into town dumb and dumber it says like, like devil horns on them. yeah <laughs> it's like wow nuts. so a really nice welcome to our town but also accurate <laughs> and so i've kind of felt tired as right when i got the thing it just kind of felt like a big thing yeah energy um, soccer yeah uh because i was like it's a long way to go. Uh, it's a Monday night. 
I live in the city, so it's a four hour drive. And I was like, oh, I could join, I could join by video because everything's on Zoom and I could like give my little talk. I could just send a video. I wouldn't have to do it live. But then my fiance and I were kind of talking about it. And we were like, you know, if, if I do that, it's really easy to be like, no, no, like you're from the big city. Of course you think this is something that should be in our town. This has nothing to mm-hmm. do with you. Thanks. No, thanks. Goodbye. And then I was just thinking about kind of like little me and how still, even with the existence of a pride ally club, I wouldn't have touched that shit with a 50 foot pole. No fucking way. Absolutely not. But had it been present when I was in school, there would have at least been a message that this, if I was in a space to come out, there are people here who would support me and the culture of the school is welcoming and safe and they don't want me to get my ass kicked for being gay. Um, It's like you can be you. Yeah. And what a great message to send, whether a student is accessing the club or not. So it's, it's about a bigger thing. It's about the message. It's about culture change in the community. It's about um, creating a space where for a lot of students, this is the only eight hours a day they get to feel safe. It's the only time they get a meal. It's the only time they have adults who are paying attention to them and and especially for queer kids it's maybe the only time that they're going to get to just be themselves because maybe they can't be out at home or in the community whatever so i was like i need to go back i have i've had all of these experiences that are just kind of coming together to make sense that like i'm the person that makes sense to go do this and of course there's going to be other people i knew i was going to be walking into like Bible weaponization 101, which is just out of control. (laughs) Just wild what some of these people who, I'm not here to say someone isn't a Christian, but it's just not the way (laughs) that I would envision the way that I would do that. Well, and Uh, you grew up in church. Like, it's not mm -hmm. like you are separate from church, separate from God, separate from Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus, and you went to school at a Catholic church. Like, you are not someone that that's like foreign territory. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. the thoughts, the thought that I was having as I was going into it was like, well, I know I'm going to have kind of a visceral reaction to it because I had a lot of great experiences there. It wasn't like I was like wilting in high school or anything. Like, I'm, I'm I was homecoming queen, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I believe okay. you passed. I passed the crown. She passed the I'm crown. I'm sitting to in me. royalty. You really? Are. Oh my gosh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, and and you know, I did a bunch of great things there. People were kind to me. They were respect all of that stuff. I didn't get bullied. I didn't have necessarily overtly negative experiences, but I also just I knew I was going to be emotional going back in there. So I had to be very intentional with what I was going to say how it was going to land on different ears. You know, the students in there, are they going to feel supported? The really angry, scared church folks who are in there and think that this is surgery club and like every one of these kids is going to have gender dysphoria and they're all going to like get their breasts cut off and like blah and all this stuff. How am I going to reach them. Not that they're necessarily who I'm even trying to reach, but if I'm going to have kind of a collective impact here, how can I present the idea that I'm from here? 
I was a queer kid who you thought was awesome. I checked all of the Richland Center boxes. <laughs> you know, like I was active in my church. I was an awesome student. I, I won community service awards. I did all of this stuff that supposedly makes you a good person. And I was gay the whole time. And to my knowledge, no one has caught it. Even people who have come pretty close apparently got over it. So it's like, <laughs> this is going to be okay. And, and you know, it had to be a, just a well thought out, like, listen, we all want these students to be successful. We all want people to feel safe. We want them to come to school. We want them to be proud to be hornets. I really went with the hornet thing. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that when you listen. There is the hornet pride. But it's like, oh, we're going one hive. And um, <laughs> and you rolled up in your orange car. Yep, I sure did. <laughs> Black and orange till I die, baby. <laughs> I got my orange shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was ready to go. And I ended up, I did have to cut some stuff out because when I was doing my run-throughs, it just, it was far too emotional. But basically, I was like, I'm from here. I did all the things that were expected of me. And... I was gay the whole time, but I never told anybody because I knew it wasn't safe to do it. And you have students here, community and educators who are supposedly supporting these students and want them to do well. So let's look at the data. They're more likely to come to school. They're less likely to consider suicide. They are more likely to have good grades, to feel connected to the uh, school community to participate in extracurriculars that are beyond this because oh if we're going to get rid of all clubs let's get rid of football what do you think about that joe <laughs> <laughs> and um and just kind of like laid the laid the data out also it's just blatantly illegal for them to say that they can't have it because there are other clubs and um so really it, it was more like a, a social argument to be made. And we flipped two school board members who originally were against it. It passed. And I, I was really, I was so impressed with the student turnout, with the support of adult turnout, and unsurprised by the, by the fear-based kind of uh, religious turnout, which is too bad because... They, had, they have such an opportunity to give so much love to those students who are in their community, who are shaking their hands at church, who are sitting in the same pews as they are, who, I don't know, that they're, they're impacting and they have a chance to embrace. And at this point, they're choosing not to, but it was a, it was a super powerful experience. My mom also came with me, which was huge because we've had a whole journey to kind of come into understand one another to a certain degree and embrace each other for where we're at. So that was super powerful because, you know, everybody's famous in Richland Center, but uh, my parents have a lot of connections in the community and particularly in the religious community. So that was powerful stuff. Man, that had to take so much courage mm -hmm. to do that and to do it with the tact and grace that you did. Yeah. Because I'm sure, like you said, it's emotionally charged. Mm. And you went in there and stated some really important facts yeah. and statistics that with your degree and with your work experience, I think in that meeting were really necessary. Yeah. Like, I think the role that you played in that meeting was like, I'm so glad you went. It just was, it's really important that you were there. Yeah, it, it is. There's 
you can you can have a love based reaction, you can have a fear based reaction, and it was super important to have some middle ground, you know, because it was a lot of the Bible says this and on one end, and you know the Bible says God says etc cetera, etc, cetera. and then on the very extreme other end of the argument was just super hyper emotional mm-hmm. like angry ang- yes and it's and it's so hard to hear the the logic when it's like you're talking to what nine board members like those are the people making the decision mm-hmm. so you got to give them something to work with mm-hmm. and i had um some really great people who helped me kind of put put my thoughts together and then it's walk in there, be yourself, make sure you just like, I was like, stick to the script. Cause I love a good tangent, man. And I was glad I went like sixth because if I had gone 20th, cause this was two hours wow. of we listened to back and forth. I was glad I went early because it would have been super tempting to kind of address the things that are just, you know, absolute, not fact based nonsense, but that wouldn't have helped all that would have done is like throw more stones at people who aren't making the decision anyway. So, yeah, I I feel like it speaks to how much you've grown in this journey. Mm -hmm. And so I want to get to that, right. You mentioned earlier that you wouldn't have touched this club with a 50 foot pole or maybe five, I don't know, one of the two. (laughs) And now you're going back and advocating for a club like this. So what has this journey been like Mm -hmm. for you from being on the JV basketball team to now the space that you're in and the incredible work that you're doing. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember, but we beat Cuba City in <laughs> JV basketball. That was the best, man. It was awesome. Close the um, yearbook. Yep. Close it up. <laughs> we, um, we, me, myself, and I, the journey has been pretty wild um, because I'm going to start, I'm going to start kind of, I know we're talking about Richland Center a lot, but when I was when I was there, I mean, I knew that I was queer when I was 12, 13, something around there. And it was just a very, I experienced a lot of dissonance, I would say, um, because I knew that I was good. My parents did an amazing, amazing, amazing job of m- helping me believe that I was like the coolest kid. Because you were. In the world. <laughs> and because I was. And like just they loved me so much. They fed me so much evidence that I should love myself too. And that I was good and I was kind and I was funny and I, you know. A lot of things came easy to me as far as like athletics and school and social skills. I was just kind of good at those things. You're the shit. We get it. For example. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then the gay thing came up. And I had also been taught that that was bad. So I was like, I know this one thing is true about myself. I know that I'm the shit. Right. We get it. And and I know that I'm gay. Those two cannot coexist. Right. Because you're either one or the other is kind of what I had been taught religiously, culturally, that kind of a thing. So that was really 
um, just kind of disconcerting as I was growing up. So I really learned to kind of like compartmentalize and loathe that part of myself. And it also, I mean, it served me in, in many ways because it made me really driven to be good at lots of other things to kind of cancel out the not so good. Right. And I kind of hoped it would just go away. It didn't. And um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, still gay, <laughs> but also still the shit. So <laughs> there can be room it's, for both. It's spoiler fun. alert, you can be both. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive, which is great. And so that's like 12, 13, 14, whatever year old Megan Megs whoever I am today. And then I didn't come out. I kind of define my coming out or when I say I came out when I was 23, what I mean is to my family. And cause I had like relationships and a bunch of things went on and da da da. I was gay the whole time, but I actually like said it and started acknowledging it. And also kind of coming to terms with the fact that it wasn't going to go away. I wasn't going to meet like, so I'm just like sweet, burly dude who was going to like be, you know, close enough, <laughs> which in retrospect doesn't even make any sense anyway. But <laughs> because um, your fiance loves wearing dresses and indeed. is super girly. <laughs> yes. I'm very into, very into the femmes. So, uh, <laughs> and, um, so I came out when I was 23 and kind of started coming to terms with it, but also kind of kept it compartmentalized. Like it was there, I was acknowledging it more. It was out in the open. If people asked, I wasn't lying, but mm -hmm. I also wasn't like, you know, coming on podcasts, for example, to talk about it. And I had a major shift, like so many, when COVID came. I had already done a lot of things. I had started getting into personal development. I had had a podcast for a couple, a year and a half, something like that already, where I was talking a lot about mindset and um, a lot of the mindset shifts I had undergone in kind of a health and wellness journey. Because <clears throat> right when I came out, I gained a bunch of I gained a bunch of weight because my coping skills were Miller Lite and Taco John's. I love a crispy chicken. Also, and we are having burrito. a beer the first time on Evian Leash. Yeah. Ever. And I do love a good IPA. Same. I've grown so much since I was 23. <laughs> <laughs> and although I do love a, a Miller Lite still. That hasn't changed. No. But what has changed? What has changed is that I ended up, I was going to pivot my business, um, which at the time I was hosting events and kind of doing uh, mindset coaching in an event type of uh, way. And I talked to a coach who had asked me like what my story was or who I was trying to help. And when I told him my story, like, well, I, you know, I'm gay and that's really hard. And as I've kind of started to dig into working on that, I'd gone to um, therapy a little bit and was kind of starting to deal with those things and those feelings and kind of connecting some of my eating and drinking habits to my self-loathing. Um, and he was like, oh, well, you should just help queer people. Do a podcast about queer people, coach queer people and help them in their coming out journey. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't want to do that. 
Um, <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, but then I have to talk about my queerness on the internet and You're I really have vulnerable. to actually deal with it. So then I got a life coach by the name of Andrea Parker, who we've talked about a little bit. Mm -hmm. She comes up on every podcast I do. She is the best. Um, and that investment has absolutely changed the trajectory of my life because kind of the big things that I've worked on are having difficult conversations with family members, setting boundaries, making myself and my comfort and my peace as important as those around me mm. because I spent so much time trying to read the room and see you know, what level of gay can I be right now? What level of gay do I even want to be right now? Because I have a bunch of internalized homophobia, which is super fun and it doesn't seem to ever go away, but it does lessen. Um, <clears throat> and so now I think the biggest shift that I've made recently is just seeing how powerful leaning into me and who I am and being fully myself, how powerful that actually is and how exploring what I want and what my values are and the things that are important to me, how big of an impact that has had on my relationship with myself, the way I show up in rooms, in my relationships, my, my ability to connect with really really good people uh who like help me grow who inspire me has gotten so much better as i've just allowed myself to also be the really cool really inspiring person um so it's coaching is the short answer <laughs> <laughs> it's finding megs is yeah. what i'm hearing that's it yeah. that's it i was the key the whole time you had everything you needed within you Ugh. I haven't changed. That's the role of a coach is to help you see you don't have to be fixed. There's nothing to fix. It's owning who you are. Yeah. That's powerful. And clearly you are very powerful thinking about what you just did in Richland Center. Like, let's just take a minute and acknowledge that. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Big time, man. Powerful. If you didn't step into your power and own who you are, the the lives of these kids that you've impacted that you don't even know years and years and years because of you. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you a single one of their names, mm -hmm. but they're going to be able to tell. Yeah. What a, what a cool, like just collective experience though, man. Well, and wild. you know, like thinking of being that kid in that high school, you know, sophomore year, let's say when you're starting to figure out who you are a little bit and like, like you're the hero of like, you're the hero you needed mm -hmm. at that time. Like you needed someone like you. Yeah. You, it's so wild. Yeah. It's like you're the person that you needed the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Ed Milad always says, you're the most qualified to help the person you used to be. That's the truth. Plus one. So Ed. your life mission's just complete so you can just retire now. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm good. You know? Like ready to get ready to go. So I'm thinking, you know, of that hornet, you know, that lonely hornet. That person that's feeling about, like, they're feeling uncertain. They're feeling loneliness. And then that continues on in college when you're talking about, like, getting comfortable saying that you're queer to the people that are closest to you. And I think it's just lonely being a human, period, just because you're going through your own experience. But, like, this is on steroids. Mm -hmm. 
and then it seriously affected your health. Yeah. So I'm curious how that turned, you know, from loneliness and uncertainty into hope and opportunity for you in those years. Like, how did you flip your health? How did you flip your mindset into that? Mm. Well, I did a, a year-long nutrition coaching program uh, called Precision Nutrition. You might be familiar. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. It took me, it, it's, it's a very slow process because, you know, they teach you like tiny habits and little mindset shifts and all of that stuff that's really, really good. But when you're used to like, these are your calories, this is how much time you're going to spend on the elliptical you're going to weight train, go do. It just feels super slow and you don't see a lot of changes at first. A lot like inner work. So (laughs) that um, process, once I really committed to it, to like just doing, you know, reading five minutes a day, reading, they'll give you like a little mindset lesson and then you've got a habit you're working on, whether it's like eating protein, doing a meditation, it kind of runs the gamut Mm -hmm. of there's some nutritional things and there's some more behavioral things. One of the things they teach you to embrace in that program is experimentation. What feels good to you? Try a day where you have, you're eating really high fats, very few carbs. Try a day where you're eating really high carbs, really low fats. Try a day where you do 24 hours of fasting. And see how your body feels. How does it react? And what do you learn about yourself? So it's what it teaches you, which is the opposite of what you learn as a queer child and ever-evolving human, is to pay attention to what your body and your mind is telling you and then believe it and trust it and then you know, modify your behavior accordingly. Mm -hmm. If, and I know for me, not that, I mean, I did get the, I did get the certification, but (laughs) I know that higher fat feels awesome in my body. If I have like a low level of carbs, I'm going to feel like a badass. I'm going to (laughs) be unstoppable. I still love IPAs, but I know that about my body and I learned that and that is true. I also know that I am queer and I love football and being around really big thinking, inspiring people helps me feel energized versus drained. And I know that deadlifts are a, a better recharge for me than uh, zoning out on the couch. I know lots of things about myself because I've kind of learned this process of trying things on, seeing how it makes me feel, and then adjusting accordingly. And I think, you know, yeah, whatever, inches, weight lost, nutrition, food, da-da-da. But really, that was a process of learning to listen to the listen to what my body and my mind and my spirit is telling me about who I am, what I need what makes me feel good, and to embrace that process because it's always changing, right? Within the context of our environment, what worked for me then, that was in 2018, I went through that program and I was single. So nobody else was dictating my schedule or what I ate or where I went or who I hung out with. 
or whatever. So I learned what my life looked like in that way. Then I was in a long distance relationship and that looked different in the context of my life, how I spent my time, what I ate, when I traveled, what I did. And now being in, uh, I'm engaged, which is lovely. (laughs) And, um, and I have a different relationship with my family and now I'm working from home and it's just this constant evolution of what's important to me right now, what works for me right now, because it's always changing and it's going to keep changing. And so the, the process for me of learning to be comfortable with trying something that I don't know how it's going to go, but kind of looking at it. Are you guys Judy, Judy Holler fans? Oh, or do you know Judy Holler? Mm -mm. Should we? Um, yeah, she, um, (laughs) she's all right. She hosts a podcast. (laughs) Yes. And, um, she uh, used to be on second city improv. That's That's the connection. But, um, she talks about doing fear experiments. Oh, and, um, so, it's kind of that concept of, you know, do something that scares you mm-hmm. every day, every week, whatever. Um, but embracing that uncertainty and getting more comfortable with it and being okay with not knowing what the outcome is going to be. Because to keep ourselves safe, we love knowing that A plus B equals C. And if I do this, if, if this, then this. But that gets us so locked into spaces where we're going to act out of fear and uh, it kind of turns you into an asshole if you can't embrace uncertainty. That it, it, it makes it real hard to, you know, to bring it back to the queer experience because I guess I can't do anything without bringing it back to that. But mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. It's embracing fluidity and um, in any facet of your life. And that's the biggest tool that I've gotten, I think, is just learning self-trust. I was just going to say, trust, trust, trust is the message that I'm hearing, is that every season of life is going to be different, no matter who you are, what you're going through. But the real power is trusting who you are and tuning out that outside noise to even hear what does my body need right now? What does my mind, my soul need? Who am I? Yeah, That's powerful shit. I have a random thought and question about the queer experience with having your social circle, obviously you have to have people you trust in that, Mm -hmm. like anybody else on the planet. Yeah. But with everybody evolving and the fluidity and then learning who you are, it's like, again, I keep saying on steroids, but like, (laughs) is that tricky to have friendships and relationships with people that are discovering themselves and then have the guilt and the shame? And like, that has to be, I just can't even imagine how tricky that must be to trust people that are also figuring this out. Mm -hmm you know, as grown adults, but have these like childhood, I just, I feel like I'm rambling, but I feel like that's gotta be really tricky to navigate relationships. Yeah. As a queer person figuring your own shit out. Yeah. You figuring it out and then trusting people around you with your information and then they're changed, like Mm. they're figuring themselves out on this journey, you know, whether they identify as bi or whatever it may be. And you're in a relationship with them or you just have a friendship with them. I'm just like wondering how that like guilt and shame that you've probably had to work through or that you've, you've said you'd had to work through, how that affects your friendships and your intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is a good answer to that question? <laughs> Sorry, that's a very all over the map question, but I just feel like it has to be so tricky to trust people 
and to share what you're going through when they're also on mm-hmm. a very nuanced journey too. Yes. And so I think I think the key to everything, to any interaction, it doesn't matter like, yes, within the queer experience, it's particularly important to lead with love and curiosity. But in any interaction you're having, mm-hmm. leading with love and curiosity, listening more than you talk, which I'm just repeating things I've heard you two say, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. But doing that and, and understanding that someone else's experience is their own. And if you, if inside of you, whether you're an ally, you're queer, you're questioning, you're not sure, um, if you feel like a, a certain level of discomfort or you're not feeling safe because of, not because of so, what someone is doing or saying to you, but because of an experience that someone else is having, that's just, that's an indicator that you have something that, you need to figure out, sort out. There's a block. There's a belief there that um, that you need to figure out because it's reflecting something. Our relationships are mirrors to ourselves, right? Whether it's friends or intimate relationships or whatever. The things that my coach makes me do this exercise <laughs> that I just hate. And I believe it's called the extreme freedom exercise. Ooh. Here's what it is. So if someone is pissing you off, doesn't matter if it's the dog, husband, <laughs> partner, friend, whatever, someone's pissing you off. And the first thing you get to do, you get out your little journal and you write down like, oh, I hate all of these things that they're doing. <laughs> this is what they're doing that is just grinding my gears. Okay. And you get to get all, all your shit out of the way in the first part of the exercise. Then in the second part of the exercise... You guessed it. You get to write about where you are doing the exact same damn thing Mm -hmm. in some other area of your life. And it's always true. You're always doing it. Like give an example. I have a friend who just drives me bonks (laughs) because she, um, you know, talks about all this stuff she wants to do or like, oh, I've got all these goals and I want to do this thing. Never takes any action. And I, I mean, I've had to do this method on this, in this particular situation, um, multiple times. And every single time I do it, it's like, well, yeah, Megs, that's because, uh, you're not taking any action on some particular part. I'm usually, I am always in motion. So I'm usually doing something, but, um, a lot of times I'm, a am avoiding. And so then you write, what's the advice you would give to, the person who's pissing you off. It's like, well, actually do something. Start small. Take some little actions or whatever. And then it kind of, the point is to neutralize it, to help you see that your frustration you're feeling with someone else is just a mirror into, it's triggering something in you that you're frustrated with about yourself and your subconscious. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of science and stuff in it. I don't know what it is because it's not my job. My coach, <laughs> my coach helps me do that. But, um, but that kind of, uh, uh, stuff is really helpful. And to, I think, assume best intent 
And when you're getting that kind of trigger of discomfort to understand that that's a you thing and not a them thing. Mm -hmm. And people are so obsessed with themselves that (laughs) most of the things they, I mean, almost everything they do is about them. It has, you know, nothing to do with you unless you make it that way. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of um, focusing back in on number one, assuming best intent, being loving, being curious, which is a long answer to a long question. Yeah, it was a really wild question. (laughs) I really like what you said too about really just like anything else we should do with anybody is just listen more. Mm. And like you said too, I mean, if you're having an issue, it's a you thing. Shut up and figure out what your problem is (laughs) or, you know, or... You know, why it's triggering you. It's such great advice. And it's always the simplest answer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I love that exercise. That's powerful. I, I also think it's easier said than done, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking in your experience, like I'm curious how you've handled the balance between giving grace for people who aren't in your experience, they don't understand, and looking They're at from that. from Richland Center. <laughs> versus boundaries and standards of your relationships like how has that been throughout your journey thank you so much for being here tune in for part two on thursday october 27th where you will hear more of meg's story more tips on inclusivity and of course a ton more laughter she is so much fun we cannot wait for you to hear part two see you thursday